All right, Ecclesiastes chapter number one. We'll begin our the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Now you'll find the common theme in this book being that of vanity. Understanding that uh, Solomon, who was the writer of this book in the Old Testament, learned a great deal about what it was to uh, have a happiness uh, in things, but yet to find that those things mean nothing at all, but uh, the world is but vanity. And we go on, the Bible says, one generation passeth away, and another generation cometh but the earth abideth forever. Essentially, we understand, according to what we heard in devotion this morning, that this world will melt with a fervent heat. And the writer is explaining that although uh, man will pass away and another generation come to take his place, the earth's still going to be here turning, the sun's still going to rise and set as it always does. Okay, and then the Bible says in verse 6, the wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. So we're seeing a cycle of things that uh, repeat, right? And uh, we understand that our life does not repeat. We have but one shot at this thing, one chance at it. We were born of a woman, uh, and, and, and we know that this world is a, is a rough place to live, and we know that man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, but when we was born into this world, we were dying from that point, the day that we were born, we were dying until the day that we do uh, close our eyes in death, and so we have but one life to live, and it says in verse 8, all things are full of labor, man cannot utter it, the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. And these are the two verses that I want to call your attention to uh, this morning. Verse number nine says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. Now turn over to chapter 3. Let's look at verse 15, and then you can be seated. Ecclesiastes 3 and 15, the Bible says, That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. You can be seated this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask God that you'd help us now in this time as we uh, do our very best, Lord, to call into our remembrance the things in which you've placed upon our heart. Lord, as we have studied and looked and considered these verses of Scripture, and we ask, Lord, this morning that you would help your people, guard our lips of clay, stop our stammering tongue, Lord, we pray that you'd preach us in demonstration power of the Holy Ghost of God this morning. If there's one lost among us, pray God you'd deal with our heart, bring them to the end of themselves, show them that in the need of a Savior. Lord, before they go outside of these four walls this morning, maybe that one that's wavered, you'd deal with our heart, that one that's downtrodden, you'd encourage. We'll thank you, Father, give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, as we covet your prayers this morning, I want to call your attention uh, to these two verses of Scripture in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10. And the Bible says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. And here's essentially what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. Simply put, there's no new thing under the sun. We endure some things and go through some things and even uh, see and witness some things and 
uh, we talk about this day in which we live in and the Bible says so as it were in the days of Noah so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There was wickedness upon the face of God's earth when God uh, sent judgment by rain and flooded uh, the world in which he created and there was wickedness abounding in this land everywhere. If you could imagine it and things that you probably could not even imagine Brother Gene, things that we wouldn't want to think about or talk about, uh, they were present upon the face of the earth. Now there's a lot of things going on in the world in which we live in today that's really seems to be up in your face, if you will. Uh, we live in a society today where people are no longer ashamed of the things which used to be done in secret. We know that it's evil, we know that it's wrong, we know that it's against God's word, but now there's no shame in it. And people do it uh, out in front of other people and out in an open uh, open before society. But wickedness was still around uh, in the beginning and it's going to be until Jesus Christ, friend, uh, wipes this thing, wipes this earth up away. All right? And so here's what I want you to take notice about. Uh, Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, that of Solomon, is saying there's no new thing under the sun. But you and I would have to admit that we experience things uh, and you understand that there's a first time for everything. I don't know who coined that phrase, but it's the truth. Everything that you know about life that you live today, you had to experience it for the first time at some point in your life. All right, and so there's some instances in my life where I can think upon experiences for the first time. And uh, you can relate back to those times in your life. Let me say this, there's some things that have not yet been. Well, now, according to the word of God, the Bible here uh, says the thing that hath been is that which shall be done, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no th- new thing under the sun. How can it be that it's not yet been? It's that you and I have not yet experienced it. It's not that the idea of this truth is non-existent or that someone else hasn't gone through it, but it could be that you and I just have not yet experienced it. And so if the Lord would help me for a little while this morning, what I want to deal with is simply this, this thought. I don't always title my messages, but occasionally the Lord will give me a title. And I want to preach on this thought that can't, never could. And I want to look at a few things if the Lord would help us because we as people, we like to look at the facts of the matter. And uh, my wife and I were talking the other night and we were kind of cutting up and joking and you make the comment and we hear it said sometimes people, uh, you just especially find it on the news and in the media today, people do not want to be confused with the facts. They absolutely don't want you taking the facts and altering their uh, state of mind. They don't want to be confused with the truth. But I want us to understand something. Sometimes you and I look at the fact of the matter and uh, we do not consider the matter of the fact. And so I want to look at that if the Lord would help us for just a little while uh, this morning. Now we dealt with last week, last Sunday night, on the matter of faith. And it seemed like this morning as Brother Marvin was leading the, uh, the congregation in song that things just had a tendency to lean that way towards that of faith. You know, living by faith and trusting in the Lord. And we learned last Sunday night in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. And we know that faith today is not blind, right? And we learned what hope was. And we understand that faith being the substance of things hoped for, it is the evidence of the things that have not been seen, but we learned that hope, according to a definition of the word, is confidence, the highest degree of well-founded expectation, right? And so we understand that hope isn't, it isn't luck, hope isn't chance, hope isn't you scratching a lottery ticket and hoping that you win some money. That's leaning on chance or circumstance. But we're, we're looking at hope by definition, the biblical definition of the word being confidence, the highest degree of well-founded expectation. Well, as we remember, and, and I'm not going to re-preach it, but just to call your attention to this by way of remembrance this morning, Romans chapter number 5 said in verse number 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand 
and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we know that if you're saved this morning, you're not saved by works of righteousness which you have done, but you're saved by grace because you put your hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we have salvation because of faith in the finished work of Calvary. But the Bible goes on to say here in Romans 5 and 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. So you can glory in your salvation. We don't boast in ourselves. We don't boast in our own righteousness for our righteousness was as filthy rags and is filthy rags in the sight of God. But we know here that uh, the Bible says that we glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And it doesn't stop there. We couldn't glory in tribulation if the only thing that tribulation done was working us patience. But patience promotes experience. When you're having to be patient in a trial and in a tribulation, you are experiencing that issue of life at that moment. There's no new thing under the sun. And so that experience has never been, uh, you've not yet experienced this in your life, but that doesn't mean someone else has it. Brother Gene, there are people that have had cancer, that have died from cancer, there are people that have had cancer that have lived uh, and in remission of that cancer, but someone that is diagnosed with cancer for the first time is experiencing some things that they have not yet experienced. But it does not mean that someone uh, before them hasn't experienced it. For you and I could go back in the recesses of our mind and think of thousands of people that have had cancer and fought with this battle of cancer, right? And so you and I sometimes when we deal with things for the first time and it catches us off guard and it, it, it scares us or it trouble, causes trouble or causes us to worry, we start looking at the facts of the matter. We like to diagnose and look and, 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 and look at all the facts. We dig into everything. I assure you, if I got a diagnosis tomorrow of a terminal illness, I would be on Google and calling the doctor and I'd be looking at everything I could and trying to find all the facts about the matter. Because we want to be well educated and we want to understand what it is that we are up against from a matter of reality. Now, fact is simply this. Reality. Look at the definition of the word fact and you will find that Noah Webster says that it is reality. What is reality? Reality is actual being or existence of anything. Truth. So a fact is truth. So we would say that fact is reality, reality is truth, and so when we look at the facts of the matter, we are looking for actual truth in what it is that we're studying, right? And so when we consider this thought that, that uh, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, but then we see that experience works in us hope. And what is hope? Hope is a well-founded, I mean, excuse me, confidence, the highest degree of well-founded expectation. How is it that we have hope in these trials and in these tribulations? Because as we experience them, being born again believers, children of God, uh, and, and join heirs with Christ, the Holy Ghost of God through the Word of God, because we understand that it's the Word of God that builds our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So faith being the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness and we go to the word of God and we read truth and it builds in us faith and we take this faith and we go with our experiences, if you will. And James having said that we're not to be hearers only but doers of the word, then we put legs on our faith and now our faith, we, we work by faith. We don't work by, for salvation, but we're, because we're saved, we have some works, uh, and the Lord will take experiences that we go through, coupled with His Word and His commands and His teachings and His truth, and it help us to experience some things that He can teach us more about Him. Now, I thought about this. I thought about Philippians 
uh, chapter number 3. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number 3 for just a moment. Philippians chapter number 3, and I want to look at verses uh, starting in verse number 8. All right, Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. What was the common theme and what is the common theme in Ecclesiastes? It is vanity of vanities. Understanding that from a worldly concept, the way you and I view life naturally, and the things that we desire out of life naturally is all but vanity in comparison to eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ and being in heaven with him, right? We understand that. Now, that's easier to understand the older you get and the more that you realize that your life is but the vapor that we talk about. It's harder to understand it when you're young, but with each passing year, it becomes more evident and more on the forefront of your mind that your days are numbered. And so we consider that the common theme of Ecclesiastes is that of vanity. What we find here is Paul says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing's as important to Paul but that of the Lord. And he says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now this is not salvation. For let's look here, it says, and be found in him. Paul's already saved by the grace of God. Paul is no longer Saul. He is Paul. He's been changed. He got, a, he got born again and he's never been the same. And Paul would never become Saul again. All right, so we find him being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, but which is of the law, that, that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, by faith. Listen to verse 10 now. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now the Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord knew Paul. And Paul knew the Lord in the free pardon of sin, understanding that it was not his righteousness that got him saved, but it was by faith, and it was because of grace. He understands that. But he does say that I may know him. What, what does that mean? That means that Paul had a desire to know Christ and you and I, I could meet you for the first time, shake hands and become an acquaintance. But how are you going to know me and how am I going to know you? I would say uh, that we, we've been here a little over a year and a half, all right? And I imagine that the longer I'm here, the better you're going to get to know me. But you'd have to admit to me and yourself and to the Lord this morning that you know me far better a year and a half, almost two years later than you did the first time I walked through the doors of this church building. You, you know people because you experience time with them and have an opportunity through fellowship with them to get to know more about them. I've been married going on 18 years, 17, 18, don't hold me to it. I don't remember which one, but it's in December. I do know that, okay? But I've been married long enough to be able to tell you that I know my wife far better now than I did when we got married. And my wife knows me far better than I know myself. And I can pick up on instances when things are bothering my wife that she may not be privy to. And likewise, she can do the same thing to me because we know each other, have experienced time with one another, and we are closer now than we've ever been. So Paul, understanding that we're getting down towards the end of Paul's life, Paul has been saved by the grace of God. Paul has witnessed for the Lord. Paul has planted churches. Paul has preached. But Paul desires that he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What was his resurrection? You and I wasn't buried and then rose again. I mean, there's some awe, there is an awe factor to the Lord today. 
You and I are dull to that concept a lot of the times, but Jesus desires for you and I to be awestruck by the presence of God by means of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, through over-familiarity and through lack of fellowship with the Lord sometimes, fail to even realize what we have in our salvation and in our relationship to the Lord. But the Lord desires for us to be awestruck by his presence. And so Paul's saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's easier for you and I to relate. Now listen to me. Jesus put on a body, right? And he come to this earth and he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. But when he goes to God on our behalf, when we pray for forgiveness and he is our advocate with the Father, he can relate to what you and I go through because he wore flesh and lived upon this earth. And Paul's saying, I have a better understanding of my Lord and Savior and the love that he had for a lost and dying world through the sufferings that he went through when I yet suffer myself. And so he's saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So when you experience some suffering, when you experience some things that maybe others have experienced, but you might say, I've never experienced this before. He is wanting to take you and draw you closer to him so that although he knows you, he wants you to know him in his entirety. Now you and I will never, do you think for a moment, if just think about this for just a minute, and we know that once we're absent from this body, we'll be present with the Lord. Do you think that when you get in the presence of the Lord, Brother Shane, that you're going to run around and look for your grandma or your grandpa or, or, or uncle so-and-so? We're going to be awestruck by the presence of the Lord. The light that shines in glory because there is no other need for light. I mean, we're going to, we're going to worship and praise Jesus Christ for what he done at Calvary. We're not going to be consumed and concerned by all the other things. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad I got family in glory and not in hell. What I'm saying, though, is we're going to be looking for Jesus Christ when we hit the shores of home. And so what, I, what, I'm, what am I saying here? I'm saying that I, and Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We get to the place sometimes when we consider the facts of the matter and we're going through things for the first time. We may, we may look at our facts and we may look at it and call it reality. And I want us to understand something. Christianity isn't fantasy fighting against reality. A lot of times we look at the reality of what we're facing, but when we get in the thick of it and the heat is on and the trouble is near, what happens is, is we think, we look at Christianity and, and, and the Lord and our relationship to Him more in a fantasy, a fantasy than we do the, the fact that there is a real reality to this man called Christ Jesus. And by getting to know Him more and experiencing these things that we go through, we find the realness of Christ to be more so than we ever thought it before. So when you get saved by the grace of God and you begin to uh, your relationship with the Lord and instances come up in life where you have to rely on Him. I mean, it's not an option. If you're going to get any help, you're going to have to rely on Him. Then it starts and forms something within this relationship that causes a closeness. See, my wife and I had not experienced anything when we got married. Oh boy, but did we experience some things just shortly after we got married. I tell my kids sometimes, my wife and I, when we got married, we shoved two couches together to sleep because we didn't have the money to buy a bed. I mean, we experienced some things. I, I tell people I opened the door on the, her side of the truck to let, and people thought that I was being romantic, but I had to get in on that side. You know, I had to eat cereal with a fork so she'd have enough milk for her cereal. You know, we experience some things and we can relate to some things and we know each other better than before. And it changed our relationship, you see. And that's what happens with the Lord when you experience some things. So Paul's saying that I may know him. All right, so I want to I wanna look at some, some things for just a moment that are real familiar to you, but I don't want uh, to get into the story as much as I want to look at the facts. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you will, for just a moment. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Now, what we like to do 
And, and understanding, if you will, with me this morning that you and I have a tendency to uh, assign likelihood to things in our life and things that our, our lives are affected by. And uh, the, the likelihood is based upon our idea of facts, facts as we see them. Now, I want you to understand something. There are facts, then there are facts as we see them. And there's the difference, all right? A fact is truth, and we're looking for truth, and we're trying to find the facts of the matter. I don't want somebody's idea of what could be wrong with me if something's wrong with me. I want the facts. I want the truth. Is my blood pressure high? Tell me. Am I about to have a heart attack? Tell me. Don't sugarcoat it. Just give me the truth, right? That's what we're looking for. Well, when we get into trouble, when we get into trials, and things show up in our life that affect us negatively, or cause us pain, or woe, or frustration, or tribulation, we're looking for facts. Well, let's look here at something that, that David, little David, had to deal with. All right, now you know the story. Little David went and fought against a great big giant who had come out to defy the armies of Israel, right? Defy the armies of the living God. And so 1 Samuel 17 lays out for us some facts. And I want to look at these facts for just a few minutes, okay? All right, so here's, here's starting in verse number 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Bible says, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I wrote down a few things here concerning these measurements. And uh, understanding an English cubit, and I understand that there is a variation in these uh, measurements, but understanding I am leaning on the, uh, the conservative side of these measurements, there would be some others that would argue that these measurements could be even greater. But looking at an English cubit, an English cubit, one cubit is a foot and a half. And a span is roughly nine inches. And so we understand that on a conservative side of the matter, that old Goliath was about nine feet tall and nine inches. He was pushing close to ten foot. Now we understand by reading the word of God that when the man of God went down there to anoint uh, David as king of Israel, that the Bible said he was white and ruddy and he was of a little bitty stature. I mean, he looked more like a boy than he did a man. Compared to his brothers who was on the battlefield, he didn't even go to battle. He wasn't sent to battle by his father. He was taking care of sheep even after he had been anointed king of Israel. And the only reason he found himself on the battlefield was his father Jesse had sent him with some things to go and nourish those men on the battlefield, his brethren. All right? And so we understand here that uh, you take little David and you put little David up beside Goliath That'd be about like getting Bryson up here and uh, somebody telling Bryson to whoop me and take me down. Bryson's a little bitty fella compared to me and Bryson would have his work cut out for him if he was going to come up here and put me on the ground. Would he not? All right, and so that's about what we're looking at when we're considering uh, this matter of David versus Goliath. But we understand here in verses 4 through 7, uh, or excuse me, 4 through 11, some things about this giant. Not only was he close to 9 foot and 9 inches tall, but he had a helmet of brass upon his head. All right, and so his head was protected. More than just Bryson coming up here to fight me, now Bryson would have to come up here and fight me while I had my head protected. Then we see that uh, uh, he was armed with a coat of mail. And this mail is still networking, or if you will, to defend the body against sword or staves. It was, it was chains, if you will, chain mail of metal that was put together uh, to go over the body of this individual to protect him from someone that may fight against him. So now Bryson not only has to fight me, but I've got a helmet of brass on and I've got chain mail on to keep anything that he might have in his hand to, to, to hit me with to protect my body. All right, so I want to say this. Goliath wasn't going to be taken by conventional measures. It's already understood by what? By looking at the facts of the matter, David wasn't going to walk up to Goliath toe to toe and take him down. 
And Bryson would not come up here toe-to-toe with me, especially with a helmet on and chain mail, uh, and him take me out by conventional methods. Just wouldn't happen. All right, and understanding that his coat now, his coat, the Bible says the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Conservatively, we're looking at about 70 pounds. By some accounts, up towards 140. Just the protection, just the chain mail that David had on his, I mean, excuse me, that Goliath had on his body weighed nearly probably what little David did. Just the armor, all right? All right, and so we find here that his legs were covered with armor. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. So he had protection not only in the front of him, but he had protection behind him. And right between your shoulders, if you were to be, uh, if someone was to protrude through your shoulders, you'd be into your vital organs, right? Your heart and all that. But his, his, he was protected frontwards and backwards. Coming and going, this Goliath was protected. Said, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. So now, not only is Bryson got to come up here and whoop me with a helmet on, a chain mail on, uh, brass between my back, uh, my legs are covered. I mean, I've got myself protected from head to toe, but now I've got a, sta- a stave or the size of a weaver's beam. Staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. The head of his spear weighed probably 15 or 20 pounds, Brother Shane. And then we find here that he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel. Let me say this, he had one that was bearing a shield. Not only, not only now, listen to me, not only does Bryson have to whoop me, but now Bryson don't only have to whoop me, but the person that's in front of me holding a shield, he's got to get past that one. You see what I'm saying? The facts of the matter is, by all reality, David was in a mess, and he was crazy if he thought he was going to go up against Goliath. Because he's looking at the facts of the matter. And so as we consider these things, I want you to understand that uh, David makes this statement in, uh, let's go to uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. All right? So then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. So that'd be like Bryson saying to everyone of you all who was warning him not to come up here and fight me, that'd be like Bryson saying, hey, everybody calm down. Everything's all right. Don't let your heart fail you. When in all reality, it would, you would think that looking at the facts of the matter, that Bryson's heart would be beating out of his chest, right? But this is what happened. It says, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Well, we're looking at the facts of the matter, right? All right, it says, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, I want you to stop and pause right here for just a minute. Lord, help me and showed me some things this verse of scripture I personally had never give a lot of consideration to or thought about. We understand that Satan is as a roaring lion. And we understand that he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Right? And so it's interesting to me that it's a lion that David had to fight. And when we consider a lion in the word of God, we see Satan as a lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You and I know that we are no match for that of a lion. I mean, toe-to-toe against a lion, I would be chewed up and mauled and dead in just a short little while. And you understand that you and I have no ability against that of Satan. We have no ability to fight Satan. He's far bigger than we are, right? But when we talk about the lion, we also talk about the one that we serve. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The alpha line being that of the Lord Jesus Christ being far greater than that of Satan. And so you and I have to rely upon that of the alpha line, right? So here's my thing. This is what I want you to understand. You and I like to talk about this stuff theoretically. You and I like to talk about it on Sunday. And we like to hear about it on Wednesday night. But it's getting the rubber to meet the road when it's time to experience it that things get different. 
See, it's good fun and games as long as we're talking about it on Sunday in a spiritual setting. But when I have to strap my bootlaces on tight and say, Lord, here comes the experience, says I'm leaning on you because this is far bigger than I am. David here is fighting, fixing to fight someone that's far bigger than he is. But he's fixing to fight, he's fixing to tell uh, Saul about this lion that he fought. So I thought about that, and I thought about this line being that of Satan. You and I, we lay a lot of blame on Satan. You and I blame Satan for a lot of things. Sometimes we allow the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life to well up on the inside of this Adamic flesh that we carry around every day, and then we want to blame Satan for it. But I do want you to call this, call this to your attention. He said, and David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion. So he was about the father's business. I do want you to notice that. David was about the father's business. And along came the lion. You and I trying to be about the father's business, taking care of the sheep, doing that of the father's bidding, and doing what the father wants us to do, and, and being all that the father wants us to be, find out that we sometimes have to fight the lion. But then there's other times that we don't have a, a lion that comes up, but we have a bear. Well, I, I never paid any attention to this, but this scripture come to my mind. Proverbs 17, 12 says, Let a bear robbed of her whelps. You know what a whelp is? A whelp is an offspring. And so what, it, what the Bible is saying here is, Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. So here's what essentially is being said here in Proverbs 7. You'd be better off to run into a mean mama bear who's had her babies robbed from her and taken from before her eyes than to be a fool in his folly. Do you know what the bear represents right here? Ourself. We'd be, we, we fight the lion sometimes and we fight the adversary, but sometimes we fight ourselves. And sometimes we get caught up in dealing with our own problems and our own lust and our own desires and it's not Satan. Satan's not within a hundred miles of us but we're fighting our own flesh. And so David's saying this. He's saying here, he said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth and when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. So number one, we know that David is having to rely on a previous experience. Now we've dealt with some of this, but just bear with me. David relying on his previous experience. What is it that we learned in Romans chapter number five? We learned, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience what? Experience. Right? So let me explain to you what's happened here. He hasn't experienced Goliath yet, but he has experienced the lion, and he has experienced the bear. And why is it that he has hope that he can beat Goliath? Hope isn't chance. Hope isn't luck. But he had a well-founded expectation before he went down there that he was going to take care of this Goliath that was defying the armies of the living God. Why? Because he'd experienced some things. Now, had David never fought the lion and David never fought the bear, see, David wasn't asked if he'd like to fight the lion. David wasn't asked if he'd like to fight the bear. The lion and the bear come up because the lion and the bear wanted the sheep. And David, because he was about the father's business, had to determine if he was going to please the father and let the, or let the sheep die. And so he went out after the lion and the bear out of necessity. Sometimes you and I experience things and go through troubles and trials and tribulations out of necessity. Oh, if given the option, we wouldn't have run the bear down. If given the option, we wouldn't go chase the lion. If given the option, the little sheep would be happy right there where the sheep are at. But being sheep keepers, you understand that there's a chance that you may have to come up and fight for the sake of the sheep. And so being about the father's business, being in the father's will, required David to have to fight. You know that being in the father's business today will require you and I to have to fight. And it will require you and I to have to experience some things in this life We've not yet experienced. Oh, there's nothing new under the sun, but it's new to you and it's new to me. Sometimes we get the attitude, I just can't. 
I just cannot do it. I can't go on any farther. I can't go on any longer. And I want you to understand this morning that can't, never could do anything. Now we're going to look at a few things here and then I'll try to be done. But concerning this matter about the, the lion and the bear, there is a previous experience that has built some hope. He wasn't going, David wasn't going to Waggles and scratching the lottery ticket hoping that he got a win for Goliath. But because of some experiences caused by tribulation, which he did not ask for, hope has come to David. And David's saying, I can do this because I've already done it something similar. He understood the bear was bigger than him. The lion was bigger than him. They were both fiercer than him. Everything that we see concerning the facts surrounding Goliath shows that Goliath is larger than David. Here's what I want you to see. It says, I went out after him, verse 35, and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. When he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. All right, so up until this point, it looks like, look what David did. I did, I did, I did. This happened to me. I, I chased the lion. I slew the lion. I slew the bear. I, 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 I. But it don't stop there. Let's continue to look. Verse 37 says, David said, moreover. So I got some more to add to this little situation. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion. What's that mean? That means he chased the lion, but the lion turned around and grabbed him. Think about this for just a minute. In his haste to save the sheep, he went out after the lion out of necessity. But the lion turned around, and instead of David, who smote the lion and smote the bat, the lion has turned around and grabbed David. Look what happens here. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. He's saying that I prevailed over the lion and I prevailed over the bear because when the bear grabbed me by his paw and when the lion grabbed me by his paw to slay me, God intervened and I'm here today standing on my two feet because I had to endure some things I didn't want to endure. I had to experience some things that wasn't in my heart to experience but out of necessity I endured them. God showed up and I've got some hope based on a well-founded expectation because of what God has done for me in the past. And I thank the Lord for that. We have hope, friend. We don't have luck. We don't have chance. But it comes through experience. And experience comes because of patience and patience comes because of tribulations. And what does this do? There was some hope, right? A well-founded expectation. In other words, there was something that David knew. The only man in Israel that knew he could prevail. Now think about this with me for just a minute. How did he know? What is it that Paul said? That I may know him. Would you say that David knew something through experience in the Lord that nobody else in Israel knew or experienced? I do want to say this. Sometimes experiencing some things and leaning on the Lord and, and sometimes you feel alone. You feel like no one else can relate to you. Hey, these people are telling him not to do it. There'll be people in the church, friend, tell you not to do some things. There'll be some people that, that say by the grace of God tell you you can't accomplish some things. And they'll say you just can't be done. Why? Well, we've never done it before. Can't never could, friend. Can't never was, was able to do anything. There'll be people tell you you can't. Why? Because we've never done it before. We've never experienced it. We've never gone through that before. It's been done, friend. There's nothing new under the sun. It's not that that may have been accomplished, but we are doing it through who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we look at the, the facts of the matter, but sometimes we look, need to look at the matter of the facts. And so here's, here's what I'm interested in. Matter. Let me give you the definition of matter. It's substance extended that which is visible or tangible as earth, wood, stone, air, or vapor. Who created the earth? Then it's space of time, a portion of distance. So we looked at the fact of the matter, the substance extended. Substance extended. But faith is what? The substance of things hoped for. And hope is a well-founded expectation based on what? Based on some previous experiences that come through tribulation. So here's what I want you to simply see. 
David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he would deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. What is it that he done? He took a stone, not a conventional method. The stone sunk into the forehead of Goliath, knocked Goliath flat on his face. Now I want you to I want you to notice that because the enemy here, the Bible said in verse 49, said and David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and sling it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. In all of his of his stature and in all of his protection, he was no match against the rock. Now I want you to notice this. Psalm 61 2 says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed. You ever been overwhelmed? You ever gone through some tribulations and some trials in your life that you had to out of necessity and felt overwhelmed? Felt like you just, you was no match. You couldn't move another day. It says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Well, that rock found a place in old Goliath. In all of Goliath's coverings, and all of Goliath's stature, and all his arrogance, that rock found its place right there in that forehead that was open. And you know where Goliath, what Goliath was doing? He was mocking that of the armies of God. He was making fun of God. Do you know where Goliath found himself? With his face in the dirt. God has a way, friend, of those that will not yield to him. putting your face in the dirt. But I'll say this, if you'll get your face in the dirt today on your own accord, he'll not have to do it for you. And it won't cost you your life today, friend. You won't have to experience death because of stubbornness. But if you'll get on your hands and knees before God, friend, that, that, that stature that we're all going to be at anyway. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. All in his arrogance and in his stature, he still found himself face down in the dirt. David prevailed why? Because of the rock. You and I will only make it today because of that rock. Listen to me now. We look at the facts of the matter. And uh, we, 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 we call and, and look into this uh, reality. But we fail to realize that he's bigger than all of our problems. Do you, do you notice that he is bigger than all of our fears. And he's going to allow us to go through some things because he wants us to know him. He wants us to, to have a more uh, closeness and a better understanding of who he is. So let me, let me put it to you like this. Stand up, Bryson. Do you see the difference in our stature? Gary, stand up. That right there made the difference. He ain't got much he can do to me. But when he stands up, it changes things. Things equalize a little bit. You can be, you can be seated. Things are different when daddy shows up. And you and I against the giant cannot compare. But we do not go to the giant in our name. David didn't fight the, the bear or the lion in his name. But he said, the Lord protected me. And when Gary stood up, it changed the outcome of Bryson when Bryson had to go up against me. Bryson no longer is the one that has to worry about me, but it's daddy. And daddy got a whole lot more size on him than Bryson does. And I'm glad that you and I go through troubles and trials. But it's our daddy, the one where we cry, Abba, Father, that comes on our behalf and fights our battles and helps us to get through. And it's because of that our relationship and our bond is stronger. Because of the trials that David went through, he had hope in that he could fight that of Goliath. And I appreciate that. So we're facing things today that we have never faced before. And there will be days in your life where you will face things you've never faced before. But there are some that's already faced them. It's not new, it's just new to you. Hey, listen, it's not new to God, thank the Lord. It's just new to you. And it might have been a new experience for Bryson, but it probably wasn't a new experience for Gary to have to stand up for what's right. To put his foot down in the face of someone that was pushing against something that was wrong. And listen, I appreciate having that in the Lord. 
So we're facing things today that have never been faced before, but we're not facing anything new. And He's not facing anything new. So I thought about some things in the Word of God. I thought about some things that never had happened. We talk about this has never happened before. I can't go through this. I've never, I've never endured this. I've never gone through it. I've never experienced it. I just can't make it. But let me show you one that's had some things to say about never. John 7 and 46 This is where the Pharisees sent officers to take Jesus. The officers answer, never a man spake like this man. Never heard anything like that before. Listen to this, Mark 2 and 12. This is when the the palsy, the man with palsy was healed. said, immediately arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, and so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Luke 23 and 52 says, This man went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was a hone in stone where never a man before was laid. What was it Paul said? I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. You know what's significant about this? No man had ever been laid in that tomb before. But it was a borrowed tomb. He wasn't going to be there long. Notice this, John 10, 28. This is Jesus when he was asserting his deity. He said, I give unto them eternal life that they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You know why we will never perish having been saved by the grace of God? Because he come up out of that tomb that never a man had laid before. See these things that never have been? Jesus conquered them. Notice this, Hebrews 13 and 5 says, Let your conversation uh, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, listen, I will never leave nor forsake thee. You know what's happening? Never heard anything like this before. Never seen anything like this before. We've never, we'll never have to experience hell because of what he's done. And we've never had anything like him before. You got saved by the grace of God, friend. We got someone like no one else. And although we say we can't or never uh, never be able to accomplish this or we'll never be able to do that, we have one friend that understands what never means and can't never could, but can't never is not something that Jesus Christ uh, understands. Never doesn't mean anything to him. He can do all things and I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I thank God for that. So, you may have never experienced anything like you're going through, but you may have never experienced anything like Jesus in your never-before experience. In your never-before experience, then we need to experience the one that never allowed anything to stand in his way. Sister, if you'll come to the piano, I want everybody to stand to your feet this morning.